I remember my family immigrating to Canada. I was 10 years old and my family had been preparing for quite a long time for a trip to our new home. I mean, there was so much uncertainty tied to this move. Lots of fear and worry. My parents, my uncle and aunt and my cousins, we were escaping religious persecution and instability of the Soviet Union. Now, some of you are familiar with the word perestroika, which is the rebuilding, the reforms that were happening in the USSR. And these reforms gave our family a window of opportunity to escape and to start fresh in Canada. It's a really long story and it's quite complicated, but I remember the risk and the fear surrounding this move. We eventually came to Canada. We made it, but it was really hard to get here. And I remember my parents being really fearful about the things they were doing and not doing in the USSR, making sure we don't say too much and get in trouble. And there were so many barriers when we came to Canada. Language, cultural differences, everything seemed strange and really different. And if I'm really honest, it didn't feel like home. It felt, well, it felt foreign and uncertainty and not knowing um, what's next and feeling on the outside, on the inside was terrifying. Initially, it was time of unbelievable fear for our family. It was really a lot of uncertainty. My parents' education, abilities, gifts, the know-how, how to live in the world, felt like it wasn't relevant anymore in, the new, in this new country. And so watching my parents and my uncle and aunt try to find a way to belong, at times looked like placing a square peg into a round hole. This new unknown reality was really terrifying. Will we make it? Will we belong? And to top it all off, in the midst of all this time here in Canada, USSR dissolved. Just like that, a mighty empire disappeared into history. And I remember thinking, like I was young, I was 10 years old, but I remember thinking the country I came from no longer exists. And the country I live in is still foreign to me. I'm really and truly an outsider. Where's my home? And when you don't know where your home is, when you live in this unknown, in this uncertainty, you can't help but live in a place of fear. Because where do you belong? What is home? Friends, when we don't know, when we don't have that clear sense of home, when there's this uncertainty, we begin to always assume the worst, right? Because fear is connected to the unknown, isn't it? I mean, this is universally true. You don't have to have an immigration story to know this. Friends, this is a human condition. The unknown is often tied to fear, isn't it? I mean, when your boss says, hey, we need to talk, you don't think of, I'm getting a promotion or I'm getting a raise. No, you instinctively most often assume, uh-oh, what did I do? And your mind races to all the events at work, uh, what this could be all about, what you did, or maybe what you didn't do, right? The unknown seems to always position us into fear. It's human nature. Okay, I have two boys, and I'm an okay dad. And yet, every time I call one of them, you know, I say, hey, Sash, come over here, or hey, Noah, come over here. The first thing they say, and I mean every single time, 
the first thing they say is, what's wrong? Every time. Not knowing what I'm calling them about puts them in a place of fear. And I'm a pretty good dad. There's nothing to be afraid of. But not knowing is often based in fear. Now, knowing, oh man, knowing is a lifesaver. Knowing allows you to think and to prepare, to anticipate. It allows you to prepare yourself for what is about to happen. We all rather know, right? In fact, we often say things like, I wish I would have known. Man, and more than knowing, being known, well, that's the jackpot. That's the hope. That's the dream. Because being known is being accepted. That's love. That's home. Because home is where you are known and love. True home doesn't need, doesn't need someone to translate for you what you mean or what you meant or what you need or what you hope. Home is a place of unconditional love and being known. And friends, being home is the search of our hearts. Today we are starting a brand new series, Home for Christmas. You see, sometimes there's a, a disconnect between the story of Christmas and the deep message of Christmas. And the message of Christmas is the greatest news ever told. And for the next three weeks, we will journey into the message of Christmas that I hope will connect us to our true home. Now, there are four accounts of the Christmas story. There are four accounts of Jesus' story. They're found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the Gospels, and they tell the story of Jesus. Now, Luke gives us the famous and the most read Christmas story. And the setting in the story is the first century. And this was a time of unbelievable fear and uncertainty. Don't miss that part, right? We sometimes skip that, but don't miss it. It is in this time that Israel was again in occupation. And friends, we just finished an amazing series called Choosing Sides, where we explored what it looks like to live in political division, in disagreement, and what it looks like to live as exiles, and through it all, to long for home. And it is here in the first century, in our story in Luke, that we find the story of Israel, again in occupation. Rome had conquered them, had them by the throat. The Israelites found themselves overtaxed. Rome had, Rome had them under their thumb. The Israel, their religious system had fallen apart. Half of the priests of Israel had joined Rome, you know, doing the whole thing. If you can't beat them, join them. This was such an infuriating and fearful time. The Jewish people had no voice in the government. There was confusion everywhere politically, socially. People didn't know who and what to trust. There was so much misinformation. Financially, there was a lot of uncertainty because people were highly taxed and controlled. And they had no voice in the government. And their market economy was controlled by an empire that was from the outside. The future was completely uncertain. Man, aren't you glad that only happened back then? If that's not bad enough, our story begins with a journey home that is made by Caesar, who has never been to Palestine. He doesn't even know the people. He has no idea what this place is really like. And he makes this proclamation that changes and affects everyone's life. And no one can do anything about it. They're powerless, hopeless, and terrified. 
and they have to do a census. They have to travel if they're not living in the place of their birth and they have no say in it. And what we often glaze over in this story is how disruptive and frustrating this would have been for the people. It is in the midst of all that that God breaks his silence and our story begins. Let's check out Luke chapter 2. Now in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a, a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So what Augustus is basically doing is saying, look, look at how great my empire is. Let's check out the actual numbers. Let's see how strong I am. So this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Now, if you lived where you were born, this is maybe not as big of a deal. But if you had moved, this was a huge deal, right? The decree meant that you had to travel, you had to pack up within a certain time frame, and you had to go home, but it wasn't necessarily your home anymore. You had to go and register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. You see, Joseph lives about 157 kilometers from his birth town. I know this because I Googled it. I Googled the distance just to make sure. And his wife is pregnant. And now they have to disruptively pack up and travel 157 kilometers, not in a car, not on a plane, not on a bus. They have to go. Okay, so I have two boys and I have witnessed the miracle of birth. And let me tell you, when my wife was pregnant both times, traveling on a donkey, I mean, for 157 kilometers, can you imagine a hard, disruptive, frustrating, fearful, uh, unpredictable, frustrating this would have been for Joseph? I, I mean, Mary, Mary. This would have been very hard for Mary, for both. Oh, no, just Mary. Definitely harder for Mary. So initially, the start of the greatest story begins with this incredibly difficult and fearful and uncertain time. And we sometimes miss that part of the story because we kind of know where the story's going, but this is tremendously fearful. So we read, Joseph, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, a time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no uh, there was no guest room available for them. So quick recap. Mary and Joseph are told to leave their house as they're preparing for the birth of their child. And they can only do this by riding a donkey 157 kilometers to travel to where, where they're not living. It's not their home anymore. Uprooting, packing up, and going. Then arriving there and giving birth. But giving birth not in a safe place because there's no place in the inn for them. They're, giving, they're, they're, they're surviving in a place where animals feed and they're putting their firstborn in a manger, a feeder for the animals. They look probably something like this. Mary and Joseph and their little child in a place where livestock slept because there's no room for them in the inn. Friends, imagine for a second how fearful and uncertain they were in that moment. What must have been going through their minds? What would be going through your minds? 
And then we read, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Imagine the scene. Now, those of us who grew up in the church have often gotten used to hearing this story. We forget the power of the moment. But here they are, the shepherds sitting around. They're outdoorsmen watching the night sky, dreaming and wondering what life is all about, you know, as one does. And a light appears and shone around them. Now, it's interesting. The Greek word here is perilampo, which is only used twice in the New Testament. The second time it's used is when Apostle Paul retells seeing Jesus on the road to Damascus. And the light was so bright, he was temporarily blind. It was terrifying. So the sky lit up. And I mean, these guys, the shepherds, they know the night. They know the sky. They know what to expect. They knew the landscape. They understand the weather. They know what it's about and what to expect. And in the moment, it was so different and so terrifying that they, of course, were afraid and fearful. But look at what we read in the story. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Man, the angel appears and says, do not be afraid. This is not what you have ever experienced. I know this is weird. I know this is different. I know this is a disruption. An uncertain time and you didn't see this coming and you weren't prepared and the world is about to change in the blink of an eye. And there was no way for you to prepare for it. There's no way for you to react any differently. It is in this moment of fear the angel speaks and says, do not be afraid. Imagine where the shepherd's minds must have been going. Right? You see this light. You see all these events happening in front of you. They must have assumed this is bad. I don't know what this, what's happening. I don't know what this is about, but this has to be bad. We must be in trouble. This must be so bad for us. Yet they are told, do not be terrified. And the Greek compound on these words is actually fascinating. It says, do not fear the great fear. Whatever it is, don't be afraid. Why? Because I bring you good news. Good news that will, uh, good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I'm bringing you good news. This terrifying, this unprepared for event, this moment that, that is so easy to be afraid of, Don't be afraid. There's a great joy for all people in this. And this is so crucial for us not to miss. Sometimes we do, right? Because we kind of know the end of the story. We think we know the end of the story. Or we know what the Christmas story is about. So we miss it. And because today we live in a small world and we travel and we have all these opportunities, we kind of think of equality and opportunity for all people anyways. But friends, this was a radical statement that this was all for all people. Because it wasn't the case at that time. People didn't think this way. This thinking of equality and hope was brought to you by God from the beginning. A plan for all people was from the beginning. And in this moment of announcing its arrival, the message was trumpeted loudly that the message of joy is arriving for all people. And we do not need to be afraid. And the early church took this message that began at the birth of Jesus. And the church absorbed it and grabbed the message that the hope was given and began to share it with all of the world. Friends, the story of Christmas, the message of Christmas, 
is that the good news of great joy is for all people. Not just some, not just the chosen, not just the good, not just the holy or righteous, not just the ones that came to church. Not just the ones that are nice to you. Not just the ones that voted the way you vote. Not just the ones that like the same hockey team as you like. Although that's a good start. But that it was for all people. Implication here, my friends, is that God, from the beginning, had a plan. And it was so great. And it, had, and it all had to do with love for us all. For all of us. No matter where you come from, no matter what you have done, God had a plan for you. God is about to do in the story something so great that if, if it is believed and lived out, it will change the world and it will change you. Which means your behavior, your inconsistencies, your failures will not be a barrier to God. And you do not, and you do not, you do not need to be afraid. You see, there's lots of things to worry about. I don't have to tell you that. You live in the world. You know that. There's lots to worry about. Children, parents, work, friends. There's so many worries to fill your day. I mean, pandemic. Will the normal ever return? Will it? Or will it stay this way? What is this doing to my life, to my kids, to my security? There's so many things that, we, that, that, that can make us afraid. And yet, in this Christmas story, the angel arrives and says, Do not be afraid. God is about to do something so great that there will be joy for all people. And here's the good news, the greatest news. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. A Savior. See, God knows what you need. With all our fears, with all our worries, with all the things that are going on, with all the things that occupy our mind, God knows what we need to be released from fear. And it is a savior. This is the good news. This will be a sign to you, we read. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, laying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. As if it wasn't terrifying enough to see an angel talking to you, but now a whole company appears singing glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is all God's idea. That he's doing, that he's going to do something for all people. He's bringing peace in a time of uncertainty and fear. Just think about this amazing news. When the moments seemed the most desperate, when all things seem to be going wrong and wrong and wrong, when you lose your job, when someone you love gets sick, when, you, uh, when, when what you love to do is shut down, when, when there's not even room for you at the inn while you're pregnant, God sends a Savior through whom we can have peace. Not because of anything we have done or deserved. Not because we are aligned to the right side of history or paid our debt. Not because we were lucky or better, but because God chose to do something amazing for all people. You see, God doesn't act like the world system acts. He doesn't give us what we deserve. 
He doesn't give it, uh, he doesn't give it to the few selected. He doesn't break down your performance at work and offer you what you deserve. That would be, well, that would be fair news. You're getting what you deserve. That's what your boss does. That's what your coach does. That's what your teacher does. That's what even your friends do. But not God. No, he gives us good news. He gives us salvation and peace for all people. See, my relationship with God is not so much about what I have done, but what he has done and what he does. And the byproduct is I get peace. You see, if it was based on what I do, it would never be enough. It could have, (laughs) my actions could always have been better. I can always have done more. I can always have done it better. I, I, I should have always prepared better, anticipated better, knew better. How lucky are we that it's not based on what we have done. And if it was, it would always be stuck in fear and terror. Because there would always be more we could do. There would always be a fear because we would not know if we did enough and what was coming next. The good news is that God decided to do something. And he decided to do it for all people so that we could all have peace. Now, friends, this, uh, there was a time, there was a time when humanity was at home and at peace and didn't need saving. And I don't know what you think of the first story in the Bible in the Genesis account, but there was a time right in the beginning when humanity was in perfect relationship with God. In the beginning, there were people, Adam and Eve, who lived in and with the presence of God with no fear. There was an intimacy. And you know what destroyed that? Not God. Sin. Sin entered the world. And as soon as sin entered the picture, intimacy and peace went away. And fear rose up. In fact, as soon as sin entered the world, God came calling and looking for people. He was looking for Adam and Eve. And you know what they did? They hid. They hid because they were afraid. The same reason you hide. They were afraid and ashamed. They didn't know what to do or what to expect. There was a whole bunch of uncertainties now. I mean, it's the same reason you and I hide. You know why you hide? Because you know in your heart there's something wrong. There's a disconnect. There was a mistake. There was a lie. There was broken trust. There was abuse. There was sin. We know that something's wrong. And in the Garden of Eden, in our true home, in our place of true intimacy and safety and love and being known, we broke that trust and created a disconnect. Fear replaced intimacy. Death replaced life. And we lost our home. Friends, the good news of Christmas story is that God recognized the problem. He recognized there would never be intimacy again or true home, that we would feel distant from our home, as long as sin was part of the equation. So sin is part of our reality and part of our past and part of our nature. So what does God do? Does he ask you to try harder? Ask you to do better? No. What God does is he sends a savior. I'll send someone, he says, to save you. Someone someone who can take the penalty of sin who can absorb all we have ever done. So much so that this Savior will even conquer death so that you can have life. So that you can come home.
So friends, the reason we are so restless and worried and afraid is that deep in our heart, deep in our soul, we long for our true home. The story of Christmas is that God, in his love for us, longs to bring us home. And his love for us is so great that he sent a savior. And he reminds us that we need not fear anymore because the savior is for all of us. And that we can have a hope and a journey home. Now, years later, John, disciple of Jesus, a student of Jesus, reflects on this encounter with Jesus. And he reflects how God brought Jesus into this world in a fearful way through this young couple on this perilous journey to an unwelcoming place, a place where Jesus would grow up and teach and live, where he would show us how to love other people and who was still crucified. John, as he reflects on all of this, all of this experiences, on all his time with Jesus, as he would reflect on this Christmas message, wrote in his first letter, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Friends, the uncertainty of life brings fear. And fear is often based in not knowing the outcome of the future. But the story of Christmas is this, that God is love. And he drives away any fear and any worry by giving us a savior. Giving all of us a savior. That when you accept this gift, you'll find yourself on the journey home. You will find peace beyond understanding. Yes, worries will always knock at the door. Fears will try to creep in. But the message of Christmas is that God has sent a savior to bring you home. A home you have been searching for your whole life. This is the good news. God says, fear not. My favor rests on you. With me, you are home.